Hello, and welcome to the Homeschool Sanity Show, your prescription for happier, healthier homeschooling. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschooling mother of six. Let's get started. Hey, homeschoolers. Types of government have been in the news lately. But I'm going to be honest and say I don't understand the forms of government that well. That's why I invited a guest expert to explain it so we can teach our kids. To understand what's happening in politics and world relationships, we need to start with this foundation. But first, I want to thank my sponsor, CTC Math. Are you looking for a new math curriculum? CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that take a multi-sensory approach to learning. Favorably reviewed in Kathy Duffy's 102 Top Picks and the Old Schoolhouse Crew Review, the lessons are short and concise to help your children break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. The lessons are taught the traditional way, not to a test. Each one of the video tutorials is taught by an internationally acclaimed teacher, Pat Murray, who is renowned for teaching math concepts in a simple, easy-to-understand way and in only a few minutes at a time. Using a multi-sensory approach, having the combination of effective graphics and animation synchronized with the voice of a friendly teacher together with practical assessment. This three-pronged attack makes learning so much easier and more effective. Even students who struggled with math are getting fantastic results, and ones who were doing okay before are now doing brilliantly. Visit ctcmath.com today to start your free trial. Now let's discuss world government. My guest today is Jessica Degree. Jessica is a high school teacher, former homeschooling student, and the host of a new history podcast called My Life Under Communism. The podcast features interviews with residents or former residents of communist countries, allowing us to access stories of their unique experiences that shed light on an otherwise lofty and complex political term. Her family is the creator of the homeschool history publisher, The Classical Historian, an award-winning history curriculum company. I think you'll enjoy this interview. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I would love to have you introduce yourself to my audience and tell us about your homeschooling background. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I was homeschooled in elementary and middle school up until high school. And at the time, unfortunately, there wasn't a program that allowed me to play at a public school um, sports and then homeschool at the same time. So I was kind of forced to go to school so that I would be able to participate in sports. And I love basketball. So I went to the public high school and I played basketball um, all four seasons and, you know, took some classes, did well, went to Hillsdale College, ended up playing basketball there and majored in English and Spanish. Um, And my Spanish major there kind of took me uh, abroad to Spain several times. So it helped me um, 
expose, you know, be exposed to the world outside there and to see a different perspective um, and to also practice my Spanish. Um, and so that helps me really get interested in other forms of government, uh, specifically communism. My mother grew up in Czechoslovakia, which was a communist country until the Velvet Revolution in 1989. So I have some family history involved with that. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I, I, um, I enjoyed being homeschooled and um, being able to really ha you know, have a great community with my family. I'm the second oldest of seven children. So um, I have a really close bond with them and that has allowed me to stay, stay in touch with them. All my siblings um, at one point in time have been abroad. Um, some of them live abroad now. So it's really helped me, um, you know, have that sense of community with my family. Okay. Well, that is a really interesting um, background that you have, and you are currently living in Boston. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm currently living in Boston. After I graduated from Hillsdale College, I um, played basketball abroad, and I also started teaching English. And this is when I found out that I loved teaching. And so after um, after a short season abroad, I came back to the United States and I really started um, taking my teaching career seriously. I taught um, ELA and history in the fifth grade last year. Now I'm teaching high school Spanish at a school in Boston and really getting to know the area and helping my students um, learn learn the wonderful Spanish language uh, that I think will open many doors for them. Hmm, that's so cool. Well, our topic today is about something that you touched on when you were introducing yourself, and that is forms of government. Forms of government have been a very hot topic <laughs> um, <laughs> in our country. Um, I, I would imagine that it's a hot topic in other countries um, mm -hmm. as well, because I know other countries follow our news and politics very, very closely. Um, so I imagine that there has been a lot of conversation, at, at least in countries that have um, access to media, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I was interested in, um, in talking more about forms of government because I, I don't know that kids today get a very good education in that. I can tell you that, you know, as a public school graduate, uh, I actually attended um, a private college for my undergraduate, then a public university for my PhD. And I really was not taught um, about capitalism versus socialism versus communism. Mm -hmm. I, I really had a very poor education in that. And, you know, maybe it's better now, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, so it, I can tell you, I can tell you from my own experience going to a public high school, that it's not much better. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, tell me more about what really got you interested in it. Uh, you know, you said your mother um, is from Czechoslovakia. 
Um, what else got you, um, you know, intrigued about communism in particular as a form of government? Yes. Yeah. So that's a great question. Yeah. As, as I mentioned earlier, my mom was born in Czechoslovakia and she grew up there throughout, um, throughout uh, her early life until she was around 20 um, or in her 20s. And then she came to America after the end of communism. But throughout my life, she never really mentioned much about her youth. She, she didn't tell us stories about what her life was like, um, mostly because I think she's she's not a very proud person or she doesn't, she, she puts others first. So she doesn't just dwell on her own past and tell us stories like that. But um, it wasn't until after college when I went abroad and I got my teaching certificate in Czech Republic and I was living with my grandma when um, I learned more about communism. I saw a few statues out in public. There's this one, um, beautiful and terrifying at the same time statue that commemorates the victims of communism in um, a beautiful garden close to the Prague castle. And I remember I was walking through the city and it was the 50th um, commemoration of, um, I believe it was, hmm, I forget exactly the, the memorial, but it was a really grand memorial um, day in Czech, in Czech Republic. And I saw a large procession and with speakers and people holding candles, walking to the statues and placing the candles down, remembering um, a family member or a loved one who had passed from the previous, uh, previous communist organization. And so this really struck me that you know, this country and these people were greatly affected by this, this past that they had. And so I wanted to do more research and find out more about, you know, my own heritage as, you know, a half Czech. Um, and so I went to the Museum of Communism in Prague, which has um, a very in-depth research and presentation of communism in Czech Republic and, and its effects. Um, and after then, I started interviewing people um, I interviewed two people uh, and asked them about their experiences and recorded this. And I actually posted this on SoundCloud. You'll find this today if you look this up okay. on SoundCloud. Um, and it was kind of like the preliminary um, preliminary side of my podcast that I have now um, before I even talked to my uh, parents who own the classical historian company that has the podcast and everything. So this kind of really spiked my interest in communism, learning more about my heritage and learning about um, a form of government that I think has affected many people um, living in America today and abroad as well. Mm -hmm. um, really, really amazing. Um, so the, I guess I am just so interested in what is the museum like? I mean, does it have a negative uh, spin or is it balanced? Um, yeah, the museum, you know, um, I would say the museum, I mean, it is balanced. There's no spin on okay. it whatsoever. Um, I would say it presents kind of what happened there um, in a very factual way. There's a, you walk through it as, as you would walk through a timeline, you start the early stages 
rise of communism um, and communists in, in the government um, and who were who were voted uh, for by some people, right? And then it takes you through and takes you through more of the uh, totalitarian or kind of dictatorial side of communism that happened in Czechoslovakia where the USSR had Czechoslovakia as a satellite state kind of telling Czechoslovakia what to do. Um, and it showed examples of what children were taught at schools by um, the communist government and uh, what people's daily lives looked like, what a trip to the grocery store looked like, what um, what school looked like, what parades looked like, uh, what work looked like. Um, I would say that at the end, you know, when, when the, the museum talks about the end of communism and the start of a democracy or democratic republic, I would say it's a very positive mm -hmm. um, look at that, um, mm -hmm. you know, changing, changing the government structure for the museum side is a very positive thing. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Well, before we go any further into this discussion, I would love to have you define communism. Like that term just gets thrown around now, right? It's, it's <laughs> kind of like used as a political weapon. Mm -hmm. um, but can you give us a, a true definition? Yes, yes. So definitely communism is thrown around a lot today and people identify things that are not communist as communists just to get people afraid. Um, I would say communism is kind of two different things. The first thing, it, it's an idea and the the idea of communism is very different than what we've seen as communism in practice right what other countries have tried to do with communism um i would say first the idea of communism is this ideal of having a classless society meaning that nobody is above another's there's no uh, upper class middle class or low class everyone's in the same class everyone works to the best of their ability to help the society um, the individual is dissolved into the community um, the possibly the nuclear family is dissolved into the greater community uh, religion is dissolved into the greater community um, the the original idea of a classless society goes far back beyond um, what we have as like the 18th century philosophers like Karl Marx or Friedrich Engels who wrote about communism in the Communist Manifesto. Even before then, people had been idealizing society where there would be no class. Um, you know, Thomas More talks about this in his Utopia. Plato talks about this in some of his writings. Um, but more later when we have the Communist Manifesto being published and um, individuals wanting to really implement communism, it's, it takes a different shape um, when put into practice. So um, Marx and Engels wrote that to create a classless society, one had to uh, destruct private property, get rid of private property altogether um, and make everything public. And some governments that um, um, did this, like the USSR, for example, is probably the biggest uh, example of this, or China, China's attempt at communism. Um, 
but we have the USSR from 19, 1917 to 1991. Try this, I guess some, some historians call it an experiment, the communist experiment, right? Mm -hmm. um, where they have a classless society. The government is supposed to, once there's a classless society, once it's established, the government is supposed to dissolve. Um, but the governments have never dissolved, dissolved when, when they've tried this experiment. Um, a government always remains and because the government always remains, then there's no classless society because people in government just naturally, because they're making these decisions, you know, it naturally forms this power structure. So <laughs> a very lengthy description of communism. No. And I hope, I hope it wasn't confusing, but, and I, wow. its idea is to create a classless society um, with no government where everyone is working hard to the best of their ability and contributing to um, commu the community and giving up their individuality for the community. Um, in practice, it, it, I would say it has never reached this ideal because there's always remained a go some governmental structure where um, some people make the decisions um, in, in eliminating private property and having public property. Um, so I won't get into too many details about, you know, in practice versus the ideal, but. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. And <laughs> yeah, that's communism. And um, what's funny to me is that when we started this conversation, I was thinking, oh, I, I've had no experience with this, but I actually did have an experience. I went to the Soviet Union in 1989 during um, perestroika when things were in the process of changing. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember being shocked um, by a question that I received from a fellow college student. I was there as part of a, um, like a, an educational seminar. Mm -hmm. And we were studying um, the differences between Eastern and Western psychology. So mm -hmm. we visited a psych department in Berlin. I'm pretty sure that's where we were. Um, in Berlin, Moscow is what I meant, <laughs> not Berlin. <laughs> wow. I, um, yeah, I was in Germany. I went to a lot of different places, a lot of different countries, but yeah. I get that the East and West, there was yeah, East and right. West Germany. So it's I like, get that. <laughs> people are like, what is wrong with you? But yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was in, I was in Moscow and the student asked, where do you get your assessment materials. How do you get those? And I said, we, we buy them. And, and that was just, it was a foreign concept mm -hmm. that you would have free access to purchase the things that you need and want. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was stunned walking through their shopping district because, you know, here, here in America, even back in 1989, when I was there, if you walked in a shopping district in any of our um, larger cities, you would see things displayed in the shop windows, like clothing. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe if you're like by a sporting goods place, you might see like some tents and, you know, mm -hmm. some, some cool looking camping equipment and what they had displayed were pens, mm -hmm. writing instruments, mm -hmm. because these were so valuable mm -hmm. to them. 
um, one of the students uh, admired a scarf clip that I had on. And I said, here, I said, I want you to have this. And she gave me her pen. And I, I just mm-hmm. about started crying because it's like, she is giving me something more valuable than what I gave her. Mm. Um, it was just so, so striking. And then the other thing that shocked me was going into a grocery store and literally seeing a bag of cookie crumbs. That was the only thing mm-hmm. in the grocery store because people had already lined up mm-hmm. to, to get the items that had come in, you know, mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. imported at the time. Um, and they had already gotten all of that. And so there was nothing, <laughs> just, just <laughs> nothing in a grocery store. Yeah. Um, so that was... That was my experience. Unfortunately, my preparation for this trip was not about, you know, the different (laughs) forms of government, because I think that would have made it um, an even better um, educational experience for me. And I could have asked some questions. Now, the only other thing I will add here is that um, the same student that I was spending a lot of time talking with asked me why we didn't supply any health care for poor people. Mm. And I said, we do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you're, if you're poor and, and you are in a car accident or you have any kind of an emergency, um, you're going to be taken care of. And of course we have services um, even outside of emergency rooms, but mm. she had been told that mm. we, we don't care for um, the health care of the poor at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. What you said about the grocery store reminded me of, uh, I interviewed this woman who grew up in Hungary, and um, she said that when she first came to the United States, uh, her father had, had a, a, you know, escaped illegally to the United States before she had, and so she joined her father. And the first place he took her when she came to America was a grocery store. And she walked in and she she said that she couldn't move for minutes because she was just in awe at everything being fully stocked and all the fruit looking beautiful and all the vegetables looking fresh. And she said that when she went over to her father said she could have anything she wanted and she wanted tomato. And so she oh. when she went over to grab the tomato, um, she said that she was worried if she gra- if she grabbed the the best looking tomato that she would be chastised for grabbing being selfish or not taking the the lumpy or the swollen ones um mm-hmm. but that that to me like that one story is going to stick with me forever you know because mm-hmm. i you know when i go to the grocery store i don't always think about that of how lucky i am that i can buy what i want and things are stocked so right her, her story is definitely always going to stick with me. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's just um, amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's contrast then communism, which you've explained so well, with other forms of government. And I'm going to let you um, define <laughs> those because I'll probably mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds good. So I guess I'll go into just listing out other forms of government. So we have... Um, we have monarchy, 
monarchy, which is the rule by one with hereditary passing of power, so kings. Um, we have an oligarchy, which is the rule by a few. Uh, we have democracy, which is rule by all. Or um, we also have representative democracy or republic, which is um, citizens choose representatives. So it's kind of like democracy, but instead of a majority ruling, citizens choose representatives, and then the representatives vote. Um, and then we have a tyranny or dictatorship, which is rule by one, um, but it's it's a harsh rule, and that that um, tyrant or dictator makes up, he writes the rules, he implements the rules, and he judges the rules. And then, of course, no government at all is anarchy. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I just had to include that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. So describing communism and, and comparing and contrasting them to these various forms of government is a little difficult because, you know, each country that has tried communism, although there are many similarities between, you know, how it first started in the country and how it went and um, everything, it, it's different, right? And the way communism has, has gone in each country is also different than the idea of communism. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just thought I would use probably the USSR example of communism when comparing and contrasting these other forms of government, um, because that's the one most people are familiar with. Um, although some people are familiar with, you know, the, the Chinese um, Communist Party as well. But, um, so I want to first start out with talking about monarchies. So a monarchy, like I said, is government where one person rules. Um, it, it might be similar to a dictatorship because one person is ruling. However, in the past, um, we've had countries where um, the countries write laws that kind of check the power of the monarch. So for example, in England, um, with the Magna Carta, which was signed in 1215, um, it limited King John. And so um, this, this document ensured the protection of church rights, the protection um, from illegal imprisonment of the barons in England, um, access to swift judgment, uh, or justice, and limit, limiting the feudal payments to the crown. So limiting the amount of money that um, like knights or barons would owe the king. Um, and they also implemented a council of 25 barons, which would kind of um, provide checks against the king. So um, we have the monarchy, which, you know, some people might say, oh, well, it just depends if the king is good or bad. Well, yes, that might be true in some countries, but some countries also had other things in place to check that monarch. Um, and then we have oligarchy, which is the government structure where a few people rule. An example of this from history is in Sparta. There were two kings, and one king would stay home during war, and the other king would go into battle. Um, and so this is probably the simplest example of an oligarchy because there are two people ruling rather than one. Um, but to compare this with the USSR, in, in the 1970s, in the USSR, many of the leaders um, died really quickly. And the Politburo, which was the executive committee, kept, um, kept ruling the party and the country. And so they kind of maintained power. And it was a, a smaller group of people uh, maintaining power. So this example of communism it was similar to an oligarchy at this, this time in history. 
um, because there were a few people in government kind of dictating the rules for that, that time period. Um, and then we have democracy, which is the rule by all. Um, now, the founding fathers in America were afraid of creating just a democracy because then just the majority would win. If 51 people voted one way and 49 another, then the 51 would win and it would be unfair for the 49 other others. Um, but I think the most typical example of democracy would be ancient Athens, um, where all free men participated in voting. Um, and then we have representative democracy or republic where citizens choose representatives and we vote for them. So um, in the modern world, the United States was kind of the, on the forefront of, of creating this or bringing this back from the ancient world um, uh, where we had, you know, the Roman Republic, I think was the first that, ex that tried the Republic. So in the United States, um, we have three different branches of government that provide checks and balances towards each other. One branch writes laws, another um, executes the laws, and another kind of judges the laws and makes sure they're constitutional. United States is different than just a republic because we also have a constitution that's a written document that's set in, you know, kind of set in stone, although it changes from year to year depending on the Supreme Court's rulings of certain things or interpretations of things. Um, and then anarchy is kind of fun to talk about. <laughs> Lawlessness, no government. Uh, the Western frontier in like the 19th century is probably a good example of this, the Wild West, um, where if you were out there, they're kind of, maybe there were laws, but not too many sheriffs that implemented them. So a lot of crazy things happened. Um, or even Texas, when Texas was a part of Mexico uh, before the Mexican-American War in the 19, in sorry, 1850s. So before this time, um, when not too many people lived in Texas, it was it was a little anarchical because like you know there weren't too many people there, and so not mm -hmm. uh, not as many sheriffs enforcing the laws. And then we have a tyranny or dictatorship, which as most people are familiar with, it's when one person holds all of the power and there's not really anyone checking against him. Um, so he writes the laws, he ex executes laws, and he judges those laws. He has all of those three mm -hmm. powers. Um, and depending on who you talk to and historians you talk to, um, at certain times, some communist gov co governments or countries have operated more in this way. Um, I know Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong, during the Cultural Revolution in China, which was in the 1960s to 1970s, he was afraid that other people in government were trying to usurp him. And so he started eliminating anyone who um, opposed him. And he he created, created a lot of laws. And he also... Um, you know, the Cultural Revolution, he sent Red Guards, which were kind of younger students. He sent them around um, <clears throat> to basically, you know, I guess a lot of awful things happened, but he sent them around to scare intellectuals or to gather intellectuals up and um, basically have them re-educated so that nobody but he would go against Mao Zedong or what he was he was teaching. So it was a more scary time in um, China, in Chinese history. 
but um, those are those are the basic governments: uh, the dictatorship, monarchy, oligarchy, democracy, democratic republic, um, and then anarchy, <laughs> which is always fun, <laughs> scary. I yes, say. <laughs> I know. I have seen people online um, call the United States a democracy, and then someone will always say no. We're a republic. <laughs> We're not a democracy. Um, yes. So that's that's a really great reminder. Um, <laughs> Going back to our discussion of public school not help not teaching us about government. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so um, you are, as you mentioned, you're a teacher, a high school teacher, and you're also a coach. Um, so what are you what are you coaching? in high school yes yeah this is um my first year coaching volleyball i am i'm coaching jv volleyball at my high school and helping helping the head coach um i i've been a basketball player all my life but this summer i started playing beach volleyball and i love it and so um due to covid we weren't able to have a basketball season but we're having a volleyball season and so i'm coaching some of my students are on my team um and it's really exciting. So, um, cool. yeah, very cool. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you've, you've been a student. It hasn't been that long since you've been a student <laughs> um, and you're a teacher and a coach. What advice can you give to a high school student who is interested in learning more about government and politics? Yes. Yeah. Um, so government and politics, although they might seem, you know, similar are a little different, I'd say for politics, um, I would recommend that you, you read the newspaper, um, maybe start just once a week and choose, choose an editorialist that you really like from the newspaper that perhaps your parents get, um, and read their articles, uh, every week when they come in, um, I would say that's probably, it's better to read, uh, something, read an article than to watch news or get on social media. Uh, because a lot of times what news, TV news or social media will try to do is to get you emotional. And I think it's never a good idea to make a political decision or judgment based off emotion, right? Mm. Um, you want to make sure you have all the facts. So I'd say read, read a newspaper more. And government Depending on, you know, if you're, a, if you're a homeschool student, um, if you're in a co-op, if you're at a charter school, um, or if you're at a public school or private school, um, I would say, you know, if there are opportunities for you to join sort of some, some clubs for learning about government, like Model United Nations might be an interesting club for you to join, um, then I would, I would definitely definitely join that club. Um, and another thing is, um, I, you know, not to, not to market my podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> no, please do. Um, on my podcast, I interview individuals from different communist countries. So if you're interested in learning more about communism, you know, I have, I have a guest from Cuba I have a guest from Hungary, from Czechoslovakia, from China, and I'm really excited. I'm going to have guests from Vietnam soon. Um, so if you're interested in learning a, a personal story, a personal account um, from someone who has lived in a communist country, and I've also interviewed someone from Venezuela, um, 
So yeah, if you're interested in that, I would I would definitely appreciate you listening to one of my podcast episodes. <laughs> where can we find that? Yes, yeah. So my podcast is um, I, I have a website on theclassicalhistorian.com. Um, there's a there's a tab for the podcast there, um, but also it's on any podcast streaming services. It's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on Spotify. Um, you can find it anywhere. Just look up My Life Under Communism. Hmm. And um, there's a symbol of, of a fist, which is the universal symbol of communism, and a, a little little eagle at the bottom that stands for the classical historian, uh, the company my parents founded. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. And I'm going to add those links to the show notes for this episode. Um, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about your um, your parents' uh, classical historian website and what kinds of resources they have there? Yeah, sure. Um, so the classical historian website is... Um, it, Originally, it's a, a homeschool history curriculum website for grades 6 through 12 that teaches uh, the Socratic method in history. So it's geared towards teaching students how to become critical thinkers rather than just people who, are, who regurgitate historical facts. Um, and so they have online online classes that they offer to students. They also have you know the 32-week uh, curriculum with, with videos included. And the, the website is really neat because there are more resources, there are current events um, that are published and current events that cover many things. Um, there are like lesson samples for history classes. Um, I used to have a blog on the website, so my blog articles are still up there. And um, there's there's a new society called the Dolphin Society, which um, you sign up for and you have access to um, many videos, tutorials about teaching history and teaching with a Socratic discussion. And you have access to joining a community of other homeschool parents who are helping helping their students be um, more prepared to enter into the world after homeschool life. Well, it's it sounds fantastic. And I'm sure that my listeners are going to want to check that out. Again, I will put those links so that you don't have to try to remember. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to thank you, Jessica. Um, I am excited to uh, listen to your podcast because I, I think many homeschool moms will be interested and in inviting, especially their older students to listen in. Um, you are giving us exposure to people from many different backgrounds and that's always a good thing so thank you so much for sharing with us today yes of course thank you so much for having me on the show this has been a lovely evening to find links to jessica's podcast and the classical historian curriculum go to homeschoolsanity.com slash government thanks again to ctc math for their sponsorship join me next time as we discuss how to maintain a strong homeschool marriage. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me. Happy, healthy homeschooling can be yours. It begins with one small step. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I'm at Psycho with Six. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.